and gentlemen, the Conservative Daily Podcast is back. And now your solo pilot, Max McGuire. Solo pilot, I like that. The idea of me being a pilot. I always wanted to learn to fly a plane. I did never too. Never got I, to do it, though. I would love to have learned how to flown a plane, man. But it was one of the things I just never did, you know? You know that you know that part a part in your head, it's like a subconscious part where you're driving down the road and you just part of you thinks, What if I just like veered off and like drove off the side of the road? You know that Been like there. weird like Yep. Yeah. Been there. I would not want to actually fly a plane because I'm afraid that that part of my thinking would take over. <laughs> yeah, have a squirrel. <laughs> like, moment. What if I just right, what, what if I just tried to land at a really high speed? Yeah, or just Let's do, to crash it. Let's do <laughs> this. Touch and go <laughs> yeah, in a car. Yeah. Let's do it. Like oh, yeah, no, no, I, no, I wouldn't want to do that. No, what, there's someone I work with um, who is who was a pilot before he was like 20, 20, and I never flown a plane in my life, not even touched the the controls. So I got a lot of I need to do. Yeah, yeah, Joe, Joe's taking some pilot classes. I know. Has he? I don't yeah, know the last he's, time he's, he's flown, but yeah, bit. he has. That's he has just something really um, cool, man. It is. I really want to do that. It's really cool, but it's also one of those hobbies I know would be way too expensive. That even oh, yeah. if I like enjoyed oh, yeah. it, I wouldn't be able to afford it. I mean, you so think... it's like better not to get better not to catch that bug. Right. <laughs> I mean, how much is gas for your car? Let alone aviation fuel per gallon. Oh, yeah. Good oh, yeah. lord. Yeah, yeah, and then and then you have the the touchdown fees that they charge just to land, the hangar fees, all that stuff. Yeah, Wait, no, they, they that charge would be... just to land. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, I forget what it's called. It's like it's like a wheels down fee. Yeah, okay. a lot of people will pick what airport what airport they land at based on how much they charge just to land there. Like even if you land and then like just fill it up and take off, they charge you. And different airports have different fee structures. So I know like oh, in wow. Colorado, a lot of people will land in Centennial Airport if they yes. can because Centennial is cheaper than Denver International. It's also closer to the city. Um Wow. So the, yeah, there, there's, there's lots of day. weird fees that they that they put put in there. So yeah, John on D Live says flight simulator. I'll stick to that. <laughs> I'll stick to the flight Darn simulator right. and 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 not go and not go down the path of of like trying to get another hobby that I can't afford. Um, but what I can afford to tell everyone is that we do have another sponsor, actually a repeat sponsor. It's the Pray in Jesus Name Project. Um, Pastor Chaps was on. Dr. Chaps was on the show a while ago. We're going to have to have him back on. I want to get on his show. Keep putting it off, but I got to make that call. But they are sponsoring this episode again. So we want to play a real quick 30-second ad letting you know what the Pray in Jesus Name Project is all about. So let's go ahead and roll that ad. Hi, I'm Dr. Chaps. Have you ever seen a TV news anchor stop and pray with his audience after every story? We are unique, and we're inviting you and the intercessors to ask God to change history as we are reporting it. It's conservative, it's Christian, it's trustworthy. Join PIJN News on this channel, it's free. You can subscribe, there's daily content, new interviews almost every day, or visit PrayInJesusName.org to learn more. So that's Dr. Chaps, a great organization, PrayInJesusName.org. Make sure you, you check them out if you haven't already. So, want to get into this story that was it's the story of the title we we put it off because joe was only going to be with us for the first hour um but it's the story of the Demo the republicans now promoting their own amnesty bill let's go ahead and put up my screen mr producer this is from breitbart yesterday this is the breitbart article from yesterday lindsey graham house republicans promote amnesty for illegal aliens amid border crisis so you can see lindsey graham 
others behind him. And on the podium, it says Dignity, Dignidad, which is the Spanish for dignity. Bet you didn't know that. Talk about dignity. And that's what they're ultimately calling it. So I want to give you the names so we can just read them off here. The names of the GOP lawmakers, Lindsey Graham, David Velado, Mario Diaz-Balart, Fred Upton, Burgess Owens, Blake Moore, John Curtis, Carlos Jimenez, Brian Fitzpatrick, and Claudia Tenney. They are the ones backing this so-called compromise. And I want to show you what the compromise actually looks like. Let me zoom in so people can read it, because I know that that's probably very, very small. So they call this the dignity proposal. That's what it's all all about, dignity. They want to restore dignity to the process. At a time when we are being overrun at the U.S.-Mexico border, overrun. They want they want to prioritize amnesty. And if you realize, if you re read it, the border security enforcement asylum reform, they're very short on details in this part. And so when they see that it says authorized funding for a full border infrastructure system, notice how they don't say wall. They don't say fence. It's border infrastructure, which could just be a road, right? Border infrastructure is a, is a wide reaching topic. It could be a road. It could be anti-vehicle barriers. It doesn't really mean wall. So they're not even going for a border wall, border fence, physical barriers, pedestrian barriers. They're not even going for that. They're just saying authorized funding. And as we saw with Biden, Congress last year authorized funding for border wall construction. Biden got into office and said, no, we're not going to do it. So there's a big difference between authorizing funding and mandating construction. There's a big difference. So this plan right off the gate doesn't even mandate border wall construction. So right, right off the bat, they're compromised doesn't even include the biggest conservative agenda item. Then they say an impenetrable border infrastructure system that would include enhanced physical barriers, employing the, employing the most up-to-date technology and securing our ports of entry. So they say it will include barriers, but they don't say wall. They don't say fence. A barrier, again, could be a vehicle barrier, which we've shown on the show before. Vehicle barriers are not pedestrian bar barriers. They are like those, those, uh, those check hedgehogs that we showed yesterday from the Chaz. The new Chaz, not the Chaz, the George Floyd Autonomous Zone in Minnesota. It's like that, just to stop a truck from going by. But a toddler can crawl through the vehicle barriers on the border. They want a trigger me mechanism to ensure border security is completed before other reforms take place. So yeah, but again, they're not actually requiring, requiring a border wall. Asylum reform to prevent abuse of the system while improving processing for those fleeing persecution and violence. Again, this is where the compromise is uh, earmuffs, everyone. I'm going to say a naughty word. This is where I say the compromise is bullshit. There, there is no compromise here because they're they're admitting that asylum will not will they'll change asylum to include violence. That's a Democrat proposal talking about asylum for people who suffer domestic abuse. Which yeah, if you suffer domestic abuse, I feel for you. But I believe it's the WHO, one of the UN agencies estimate that between one quarter and one third of married women worldwide have at some point suffered what would be categorized as domestic abuse. And they're not talking necessarily about the, the United States, though I'm sure many of those cases are in the United States. Once you start getting into Africa, South America, Central America, Asia, right, into, into more third world countries, domestic abuse is very common. So the left has wanted to make domestic abuse abuse, a qualifier for asylum, where anyone can show up and just say, my, my husband beats me, and you have to let them write in. No, 
I'm not, that, that's not saying that people who suffer domestic abuse don't deserve some help. That's true, but it doesn't automatically qualify you for entry into the United States. And are we really prepared for one third of all women on the planet, all married women on the planet, just to show up at the border and they'd have the right to live in the United States? And how do you prove that? How do you prove domestic abuse? Well, what they have bruises. What if they just hit themselves? What if they had someone else hit them to make them bruised? It's impossible to actually prove domestic abuse in a third world country where someone shows up at the border and they have no documentation. Remember, that's what they mean by undocumented. They have no documentation. How can you possibly vet these claims? So even the promise of asylum reform, it has that caveat of improving processing for those fleeing persecution and violence. Persecution, yes. If you're being persecuted for your religious beliefs, your political beliefs, right? Or because of your culture or your ethnicity or whatever, right? If you're being persecuted for who you are and there is a, a person in a position of power who wants to eradicate you because of who you are, then yes, you qualify for asylum. But you go down the list of countries in Central and South America, there are no tyrants disappearing people anymore, with the exception of perhaps Venezuela, Venezuela and Cuba. You look at the rest of the, of the continent, it's not like it was in the 70s and 80s, where we had they had dictators in power who, if, if you cross them, they would put you in a helicopter and drop you alive into a volcano. Yes, that is how in Nicaragua, the, uh, was it, the Somoza, I think it was the Somoza regime, the Somoza regime dealt with detractors. They took them for helicopter rides and they dropped them into, into volcanoes. So they dropped them at high heights into the ocean or into, into the cliffs to kill them. They disappeared them. That is what these asylum laws, regulations were written to deal with. People who were fleeing legitimate persecution that if they didn't leave, if they didn't flee, they would be killed for who they are. Except in today's world, persecution, persecution has been redefined to fleeing gang violence. I mean, you look around the globe, every major city on earth has some element of gang violence. Are we really saying that anyone who lives on the same street as a gang has the right to enter the United States? This is idiotic. This makes no sense. This is designed, in a lot of ways, this is designed to turn Texas blue. Trying to do a lot of research on this, trying to figure out how many illegal aliens that are, are actually leaving Texas. Not that many, interestingly enough. Yes, some of them go to New York. Some of them go to other states. A lot of them are staying in Texas. So this is absolutely an attempt to turn Texas blue. Absolutely. And that's why in the border regions of Texas are bright blue. All of those congressional districts, all of, the, of those counties along the, the Texas-Mexico border are bright, bright blue for that very reason. Illegal aliens enter Texas there. They, they settle down. They have kids. Those kids become American citizens. Those kids vote. It's as simple as that. But even in the part, like when, when you look at when you look at comprehensive immigration reform, that name always gets shared, comprehensive immigration reform. Comprehensiveness of it is supposed to be the conservatives get what they want, the, the liberals get what they want, right? That, that's usually the give and take. That's what a compromise is. Neither side gets everything they want, but both sides get some of what they want. When you look at this first paragraph, go ahead, put it back up again, Mr. Producer, the border security enforcement and asylum reform. It isn't actually what conservatives are asking for. They've muddied the waters. They've deli deliberately made it less potent. They've, they, they, they've deliberately written it so that there's no teeth to it. A border infrastructure. I'm not going to say it's all going to be a wall. There'll be physical barriers, but we won't say wall. 
Um, we're going to stop asylum fraud, but we're going to let them enter if they're fleeing violence. The world is a violent place. That doesn't mean you qualify for asylum. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. You're free to disagree. Asylum means something. Asylum means you're fleeing deliberate persecution because of who you are, or you're fleeing some kind of natural disaster, famine, things like that. War, genocide, ethnic cleansing, crimes against humanity, right? That's what asylum is supposed to be. Not, oh, well, well, my, my, my spouse hit me once. He hit me once. So that means I have the right to be an American. Oh, come on. And, and they do this all the time. They create, they create this to, to make it really hard to argue against it. They, they make it really hard to argue against it. Because if you do, you come off as unsympathetic, unsympathetic. Like you, you don't have any sympathy for that. People saying they can't read that. I just sent it to Mr. Producer. If he can put it on the screen. Um, yeah, I'm having some weird problems with my video feed today. I don't really know why. There we go. Is that what I just sent you? Or is that what you're putting up my screen, Mr. Producer? Uh, screening. Okay. Okay. So we, we can scroll down a little bit and then it says protection for dreamers. This is the crazy part. Dreamers provided immediate legal status authorized by Congress. I rail about this all the time because it was just a few years ago that the Republican Party promised to defeat the DREAM Act. They defeated the legislation. And then when Obama signed it through by executive DACA program, you had John Boehner. Don't forget that name, right? He, this guy deserves to be blasted for this. He promised that if the Supreme Court did not overturn DACA, that the Republicans would do it. Now they, they were counting on the fact that this case would take years to get to the Supreme Court. They never thought that they'd get a President Trump. They actually wanted a President Hillary Clinton. But they thought it would take years. And by that time, John Boehner said, I'll be gone. And sure enough, he was. <laughs> right? Then, then you saw his predecessor. His predecessor says, again, oh, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. Kevin McCarthy, again, says, I promise, I promise, I promise. But now what we see is now that there's a time to actually make good on that promise. Oh, no, no, we never made that promise. We're going to legalize them and provide immediate legal status. And then they want pathways to permanent legalization through work, military service, or higher education. That's the idea that an illegal alien gets in and they hold a job illegally, illegally. But that means that they're qualified to become American citizens. No, come on. This is what the GOP looks like. This is what Republican immigration plans look like. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. So we can go, maybe you can go back to my screen, Mr. Producer, and we can, you can increase the quality, the video quality. So it isn't as blurry. Um, Put my screen back up. This is the actual problem with this. Oh, no, that's completely blurry. No one can read that. Um, I sent you the link. Is there any way you can put that up? Even just put it on the screen. I'll talk about it. There we go. Okay, scroll down. There we go. Much better. So scroll down to Dignity Program 10 years. Can we do that? Oh, yeah, we go. Okay. Dignity Program 10 years provides work visas for the undocumented who comply with all federal and state laws, pass a criminal background check, pay back taxes, start paying income taxes, and remain employed. That sounds nice. But when you're undocumented, what kind of criminal background check is going to be able to check someone who's undocumented? 
That's the whole point of being undocumented. You have no paper trail. There is no one to call to ask what someone did. Did anyone break any breaking laws because these people have in a lot of cases stolen other people's identities worked illegally under stolen identities you can't run a background check on these people a background check is only good as the records database that it is pulling from it's a fact and when you have someone who you don't even know if it's their real name and they don't have any documentation proving who they are and all the time they've been here they've been using an alias or a stolen identity you can't do that you can't do that. So put it back up. They say you must pay a fine and make an initial contribution to the American Small Business Fund. So that's nice. The American Small Business Fund is apparently going to help pay for the Paycheck Protection Program. Well, no. It's a, it's a nice little thing. I mean, if we're going to have it anyway and it's unstoppable, then yeah, make them pay into the Small Business Fund. Fine. But that's not a compromise, right? That's, that's not a compromise. You should be leading with the conservative charges which is that you don't want this to happen. <laughs> this is what the Democrats want. There's nothing really changed here. Let's go back. They say this does not provide permanent legal status, only temporary as long as conditions are met. Individuals in this program will not have access to federal means-tested benefits or entitlements. They will be net contributors to tax revenue and the U.S. economy. Successful completion of the Dignity Program would provide an indefinitely renewable five-year visa to maintain a work permit and legal status. Then you go from the Dignity Program to what they call the Redemption Program. And you scroll down a little bit more. This program is optional. You must complete the 10-year Dignity Program to start the Redemption Program. Participants can earn permanent resident status. They must learn English and U.S. civics. They must contribute to their local economy, either through volunteer work or through contributions into the American Small Business Fund. This program would open up the eligibility for existing pathways to citizenship, but would not be a special pathway. Individuals applying would go to the back of the line. I like that. No, you should not be a U.S. citizen. If you have spent your entire life violating our immigration laws, working illegally, stealing someone's identity. No, I'm sorry. At that point, you are not eligible for citizenship. If we're going to have a conversation about they get to stay and work here and they have to pay a lot of fines and maybe they have a higher tax rate than everyone else, we, we can talk about that. And they don't get any benefits, don't get any welfare, no Obamacare. That's something maybe we could talk about, right? But citizenship should be off the table. They are not owed anything. They are not owed a single thing. They broke the law. Oh, Max, but they came here as children. Well, what happened when they turned 18? What happened when they turned 18? They learned that they were brought here as children. Fluent Spanish speakers, they could have gone back. This is something that never really gets talked about. The people who come to the United States tend to be the most energetic people of their country. And by that, I mean, they're the ones striving to, to live a better life. And that's something that should be applauded, right? They want a better life for themselves, for their kids. The problem is their country desperately needs that kind of thinking. Their country desperately needs that go-getter attitude, that entrepreneurial spirit. So when you have these refugee flows, when you have these asylum flows, and you're taking from these countries, the very people the countries need to get back on track, all that ends up guaranteeing is more refugee flows, more asylum, asylee flows. At some point, Right. I mean, we, we talk about this a lot on the show. We look at the temporary protected status. People like from Haiti, when, when Haiti had that devastating earthquake, they fled Haiti because there was literally nothing. No running water, no electricity. Their home was destroyed. They fled to the United States and lived here. Well, at some point, they need to go back, not as a punishment, 
but Haiti desperately needs them. If, if they are, let's say they're a doctor. They're a doctor. They fled Haiti, came here, and they have a practice here. That's great. Haiti needs its doctors. Haiti needs its lawyers. Haiti needs the people who know how to fix infrastructure, to build infrastructure. Haiti needs its politically minded people so that Haiti can repair itself, right? We're, we're taking from these countries the very people that the countries need to advance. So that's, that's the double-edged sword when it comes to asylum. It's the double-edged sword when it comes to refugee flows. You talk about Syria, there are Syrian refugees. And when you talk to someone about the Syrian refugee program, they just say, oh, well, those people will never go home. So what, Syria is just always going to have Bashar al-Assad? Syria is always just going to be a hellhole? Syria is always just going to be fighting between tyrannical regime and terrorist groups? There's not going to be any sane-minded people there in Syria? They're just going to give it up? We see that in, in Lebanon, too. The Maronite Christians, they fled. They fled. And I don't blame them, right? When you flee your country, I, I don't blame you at all based on what the Maronite Christians were dealing with in Lebanon. But those are also all the business owners. So when they left, they, they took that entrepreneurial spirit with them. And Lebanon suffered. It's, it's the history of refugee flows. When you take the people who are the brightest, who have the most spirit, and you take them away, their home country doesn't get better. And, and, and it's impossible to take in refugees, to take in asylum seekers at any significant level to affect global poverty. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Even when the United States takes one million immigrants a year, it doesn't even make a dent in world poverty. So I, I just, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it at all. I, I don't get how, how Republicans could think that this is actually a good idea, that they, that people are just, they deserve American citizenship. No, they fled violence. They got an education. The best foreign aid program we could possibly have would be educating the next generation of whatever citizens and sending them back to their country to fix their country, right? That's what we should be dealing with. And yeah, may maybe we can have a conversation about them saying citizenship should be off the table. Maybe we should talk about them saying, but they should be incentivized to go back. They should be incentivized to go back because that's what their country desperately needs. All we hear about from the left is, oh, frontline workers, as if every illegal alien suddenly has a, a, a medical degree, right? But yeah, there are people in the, in the DACA program who did get nursing degrees. Well, the next time their home country has a natural disaster and they're facing a, nurse, a nursing shortage or a doctor, a doctor shortage, we should send them back because their country needs them. I don't know. Maybe let me know if I'm, if I'm off base. I don't think I am. Let me know if I'm off base with this. I just, I feel like this is just, it's its a double-edged sword. It really is. And it's a lose-lose. The United States has to deal with an influx of refugees, influx of asylum seekers, and the countries they're fleeing just keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. But hey, Joe Biden is promising $4 billion to Central America, so I'm sure the, they'll spend that well. I'm sure they'll spend that well. Go back to that screamist producer. Let me read through the rest of it. You have the guest worker program. Guest worker program creates a new agricultural worker visa for current agricultural workers, reforms and modernizes the H-2A program. So they don't have a lot of details in that, but these people already have a visa, so we're just going to give them a different visa. Go back to it. This is the part that really terrifies me. H-2B. Modernize H-2B and institute market-based reforms. So we look at H-1B, H-2B. All these visas basically deal with people coming into the United States from foreign countries and taking jobs that could go to Americans. The agricultural ones, I get it. You say, oh, well, Americans aren't going aren't to gonna 
work in the seafood industry. Americans aren't going to pick the crops. Maybe they would if they paid living wages, but then we'd all be paying more at the grocery store. So that's a that's a that's a really complicated topic. But when you start looking at H1B and H2B visas, H2B visas are, are a lot of blue collar. They, they call it temporary, like seasonal work, um, like hospitality, hospitality. When, when I grew up in New Jersey, going to the Jersey Shore, a lot of those people on those kinds of visas worked in like the, the different boardwalk shops, which fine. But if you were an American trying to get a job, you were competing with foreigners who wanted those same jobs. So we, we're the unemployment level just went up. The unemployment just went up. I don't know if you saw it. The, the economists, the experts expected that the jobless claims would reduce down to 700,000. It went up to 770,000. So more people are losing their jobs. More people are filing for employment this month than last. And here they're talking about bringing more people into the country to take jobs. Uh, who do these people represent? And by these people, I don't want it. No, I'm not. That's not a racist. I'm not racist. I'm talking about these Republican congressmen and Lindsey Graham. Who do these people think that they represent? Do they truly believe that they were sent to Washington to give jobs to foreigners? Do they really think they were sent to Washington to open the floodgates of, of asylum claims? Uh, what did they think they were sent there for? I mean, I certainly didn't send them there for that. I want to show you what it looks like at the border. Go ahead, go to image one, Mr. Producer. This is this is what it looked like just yesterday. Just yesterday on the border. And the, yeah, Border Patrol has blurred out people's faces because, I don't know, whatever. They're just lining up. They're lining up at the border wall for entry. They've turned the border wall into a port of entry where they're just allowed to walk right in and Border Patrol is not allowed to send them right back. They have to take the name down, right, and process them. And if you think that's not that much, go up, put up image two. This is the other scene from the border wall. Look at that. They're just lining up. Just lining up. We built the wall, but they're allowed to just walk right through. They're allowed to just climb right over and we have to let them in. That's what it looks like at the border. It, it, it looks like a daycare. Border Patrol has been reduced to a daycare organization. I don't get it. I don't get I don't get it. And, and this was all predictable, people. This was all absolutely predictable. Joe Biden promised that he would do this. In fact, when he was running for president, he told immigrants to surge the border. This is an old clip, but I want to play it. Let's go play cut one, Mr. Producer. Biden, as a presidential candidate, in 2008, you supported the border wall saying, unlike most Democrats, I voted for 700 miles of fence. This is what you said. Then you served as vice president in an administration that deported three million people, the most ever in U.S. history. Did you do anything to prevent those deportations? I mean, you've been asked this question before and refused to answer, so let me try once again. Are, are, are you prepared to say tonight that you and President Obama made a mistake about deportations. Why should Latinos trust you? What Latinos should look at is comparing this president to the president we have is outrageous, number one. We didn't lock people up in cages. We didn't separate families. We didn't do all of those things, number one. Number two, number two, by the time, this is the president who came along with the DACA program. 
No one had ever done that before. This the president sent a le- legislation to the desk saying he wants to find a pathway for the 11 million undocumented in the United States of America. This is the president who's done a great deal. So I'm proud to have served with him. What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. I would change the order that the president just changed, saying women who were being beaten and abused could no longer claim that as a reason for asylum. And by the way, retrospectively, you know, the 25th anniversary of the Violence Against Women Act is up. The Republican Congress has not reauthorized it. Let's put pressure on them to pass the Violence Against Women Act now. But yeah, but you, you didn't answer the question. Well, the president, did, you make the question. A, no, did you make a mistake with those deportations? The president did the best thing that was able to be done at the How about time. you? I'm the vice president of the United States. Uh, Secretary Castro. It's telling them to surge the border. I mean, it's, it's stunning. It's stunning stuff. But not all that surprising coming from Joe Biden. So we do have a caller. He's been on waiting patiently. Greg wants to talk about Republicans who are supposed to be working for us to prevent this kind of stuff, but they aren't doing it. Greg, welcome to the show. Hi. So what what do you think about this? Yeah, what do you think about this bill? What do you think about this bill, this amnesty bill that Lindsey Graham and the other Republicans are pushing? Well, the more I think about this stuff, the more I get worked up because they're who people put them there to represent and supposed to be there to protect our, our interests. And they're not doing it. And the Democrats seem to think that everybody in this country are absolute idiots and that we don't see what they're doing or haven't foreseen what they're doing. And that bugs me so bad, but like me as an average Joe, I like, I got my check today. My taxes are outrageous. And now if they make, all these other people give them amnesty. They're not paying taxes. And it just bugs me yeah. really bad. I mean, I don't know why our military and people that are in positions of power to do anything haven't stepped in and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't destroy the country in a couple months. It's taken 200 years to get where we're at. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's terrifying because they say they're going to pay taxes. But unless they earn enough money to pay taxes, their tax rate would be effectively zero. Right. That's the old Mitt Romney quote of the 47 percent. If you put new immigrants that you give them amnesty and they're in that 47 percent that don't pay federal income tax, then no matter how you slice it, they're not going to be a net positive taxpayer if they're not paying any income taxes. Um, So, no, this this is absolutely infuriating. And, yeah, who do these people serve? Are they serving their constituents, the American people, or are they serving foreigners? Everybody but who they should be serving. They should be serving us. Absolutely. They should be. And they have no checks and balances. They have no oversight. And my my father once told me something and has stayed with me forever. He said an elected position was not made to be a career. It was made to keep a fresh influx of blood to keep things going. And these people that have made it a career and all they do is vote for everything for themselves vacations, raises, anything to keep them going. They do nothing for the people that they're there for. Very few, if any. Yeah. Yeah, no. And and lots of times we've talked about, we've talked about like uh, kind of 
uh, term limits for members of the of the Congress. Personally, Everyone's I like right. that idea, but I also think there's nothing more dangerous than a term limited Republican. I mean, if this is what Lindsey Graham looks like, or or these other Republicans look like, who are up for Lindsey Graham's not because he just ran, but the other Republicans are up for re-election in two years. If th- if this is what a Republican looks like, who's up for re-election in two years. Imagine what Republican governance would look like if they no longer are running for re-election and they have two years just to do whatever they want with no consequences. That's the that's the double-edged sword of term limits. Like, yeah, they should not be allowed to stay in office forever. But the only thing that even controls them a little bit is the notion that they can't just go off the rails because they have to face the voters again. If they believe that if they were told you're, you're term limited, no more running, well, then they have two more years in the House. If they're in the House, two years, do whatever they want with no consequences. That to me is terrifying. Well, Seeing Paul Ryan, people like Paul Ryan with no political consequences. They also, I know, when they when they do, if they ever get elected out and they're done, they're still taken care of for the rest of their lives. Yeah, insurance. Yeah, pension pays everything. I mean, it's like okay, you did a little bit. Well, you're not in that no more. So now you go back to being a regular average Joe like me. And so that would be an incentive like, hey, if you're going to be coming back into this, you better be helping us because you will then be put back into this position. You're not above everybody. And then they have, I mean, you pay the same taxes, you get the same pension, you get, you get what you get for your constituents. What they get is what you get when you're done with your term in office. Absolutely. Absolutely. But no, yeah, if, if they're in office for long enough, they get to just, they get a pension, right? So even if you vote them out, if they have that pension, they're exactly. set for life and then they become a lobbyist. Then they become a lobbyist and then they make their money that way. So they're set. Once you're elected, you're set. Exactly. There's no, there's no go, going back home like the founders did, expecting them to go home, tend to their crops, run their legal profession during the summer months. There's none of that, right? Once you get to D.C., that is your career. That's where they forget their constituents and that they're there for us. They're there for themselves. Hey, I'm set up. Oh, wait, was I supposed to be doing something for the people that voted for me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and then believing so, so twisted that they're sent there to give amnesty to every single illegal alien in the country. Because this bill would give amnesty to between 11 million and 22 million illegal aliens. And that's not even a hard cap because we don't know how many are actually here. And there's in this in this uh, proposal, there's no cutoff. There's no like you had to be here before July 1st, 2007, which 2007 was the cutoff for Obama's amnesty. It had a cutoff. With this, they're talking about anyone who gets in the country today or even one second before this bill is signed into law qualifies. So, of course, we're having them storming the border. Of course. And, of course, like everyone says, and I know you guys talk about it, the Democrats are trying to get them up here to rig elections and get Democratic votes. But... I love how they try to blame everything on President Trump when everything was better uh-huh. under him. They have dropped the ball and screwed everything. But let's put well, they the didn't drop the ball. There. They didn't drop I, the I ball. That suggests – dropping the ball suggests they made a mistake. They spiked the ball, right? They threw it on the ground on purpose. It wasn't, it well, wasn't a drop ball. They, 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 they wanted to fumble on purpose. I tell people that politics, which I do not like politics, I do not like politicians, I don't care what they are, I just don't care for them, um, is like magic act. 
the wars and everything else is all misdirection. Hey, look over here so you're yeah. not paying attention to what's going on here with our vets, our homeless. Our... We don't take care of us, but they'll stick their nose in everything else, anywhere else, and it's all misdirection. Don't look at me. Yeah. Look at my left hand. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And that's how I explain yeah, it. Pay it's no all misdirection. It all, it all is. Well, well, thank you so much for the call, Greg. Really do appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. Um, I wanted to play a clip, and it's actually not a clip. It's 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 five-ish minutes long. But this is some questioning from Congresswoman Kat Kamek against Biden's DHS secretary. And I want to play it in its entirety. We might cut in and out for a bit, but I want to play the whole thing. So, Mr. Producer, this is that video I sent you, the, the Twitter link, because for whatever reason it couldn't download um, so let's go ahead to this. Again, this is Representative Kat Kamek, a congresswoman from Florida, going up against Biden's DHS secretary, asking him about the border crisis. So let's go ahead and, and play that clip, Mr. Producer. Here today. Uh, thank you, Secret uh, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, I know we've been in and out of meetings all day today. So if this question has been asked previously, I apologize. Uh, can you tell me what FEMA stands for? the Federal Emergency Management Administration. Excellent. So since FEMA has been now deployed to the border, that would stand to reason that there is an emergency on the border, correct? Um, uh, Congresswoman, um, uh, perhaps you did not um, hear me. Uh, yes or no will suffice. We have a very serious challenge at the border and we are tackling it. So right, uh, FEMA uh, being the it, emergency management it's not the federal very serious challenge management administration. Right? It's the federal emergency management. So he's like, oh, yeah, we've, we've deployed it. He's all confident, like he knows the acronym. And then she says, well, so that means it's an emergency. He said, no, it's a very serious challenge. Well, no, it's not the what? It's not the F-V-S-C-M-A. It's FEMA. Let's go back to it and play. It's, it's really funny. And uh, uh, administration, they deal with emergencies and they are now being deployed to the border and it's not an emergency. Is that what I'm hearing? Congresswoman, if you'll allow me, uh, FEMA, the men and women of FEMA have tremendous capabilities, operational capabilities to address challenges that we confront in a series of our mission sets. We, oh, and I'm glad you said, I'm, we, uh, I'm so sorry, I have to reclaim my time because I'm very limited. And I'm glad you said that because the, the men and women of FEMA are incredible. And and I represent a, a hurricane-prone state, so this is really important to me, especially as the ranking member of the Emergency Preparedness and Response and Recovery Subcommittee. So with everything that we have going on, a global pandemic, a border crisis, uh, with everything happening, does FEMA have the resources necessary to effectively respond to the pandemic, the border crisis? And the upcoming hurricane season, in your opinion? Yes. And again, just yes, they do. Yes. Excellent. Yes, let me let me share with you uh, a a glowing example of that. Uh, as I said at the outset, the president um, uh, set an ambitious goal for uh, FEMA to set up uh, 100 federally supported community vaccination centers in uh, in 30 days. Oh, let's fast forward up, this. Fast forward um, this, like uh, a little bit. I don't really want to hear all this. Uh, the, there we go. Uh, there we go. Uh, the issue uh, of the unaccompanied children arriving in large numbers. 
and DHS as a whole. And I know you all play a role here. Do you support the the walls around the capital region? What wall are you speaking of? The fencing, um, Congresswoman? Yes, um, the the ten foot wall fencing with razor wire around it. Um, uh, Congresswoman, uh, that is a <laughs> issue yes that I, uh, Congresswoman, if I, if I may. That is an issue that I have not studied. I've left uh, to the security experts uh, with respect to what particular type of physical barriers are best suited uh, for the protection uh, of uh, the capital region. And I apologize. I, I know I'm new here, and I know you're new here, but well, as Secretary I'm, I'm trying of to answer, DHS I'm trying of to answer your Security, question. you're telling me that you haven't studied whether or not a 10-foot fence around the capital region is necessary as Secretary of <laughs> Homeland Security? Congresswoman, uh, I have deferred to the experts with respect <laughs> to the nature of the physical uh, barrier positive. that is most of... <laughs> so th this line of question is great because she's trying to catch him into into like admitting and saying that the border wall, wall around the Capitol is necessary, but a border wall around the border is unnecessary. And he's just trying to deflect it. Like, he deflected the FEMA stuff. He's deflecting this. He had to have signed off on it, right? DHS had to have, in some manner, signed off on the border fence around the Capitol, which is, I call it the border fence, because why not? Um, but he's trying to cover it. He's trying to not not get trapped up. But it's very obvious at that point that um, he's just trying to avoid the question. So let's go back to it. There's a question at the end that she asked, and he flips out over. And I want to make sure we get to that. Let's go back to that, Mr. Producer. Protecting the capital region, where that barrier should be. Okay. Whether it should be singular in nature, wherever it is, or well, whether it should vary. Secretary Marcus, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to reclaim my time because I think we can both agree that physical barriers do work. But I do want to bring it home a little bit because I know several of my colleagues have talked about the statistics, the numbers of, of folks coming over the border. But I just want to bring it home a little bit. See, I, I'm from a small town um, out west, and the, the month before I was supposed to graduate high school, which was 2006, one of my classmates was kidnapped by an illegal who had been deported multiple times. And I think when you have policies that incentivize folks to come over illegally and we don't have the proper mechanisms in place to protect our borders, as you say, FEMA has been deployed and they are an emergency agency, that kind of impact has resounding effects. So my question to you, her name was Amber Scott, the, the young lady that was kidnapped by this illegal criminal. How many, how many more Ambers See? have to be kidnapped across America before you will take action? Tell ladies time has expired. Mr. Chairman, may I? Yes. Mr. Chairman, Mr. Chairman, may I answer that question? Yes. Congresswoman, uh, I find that question to be extraordinarily disrespectful. Disrespectful oh, so not disrespectful. only to me, but disrespectful to the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security uh, and to all the frontline personnel oh, so throughout this country who dedicate themselves to the safety and security of the American people. I'm uh, sorry you feel Mr. that way. I'm thank sorry you, that you Chair. feel that way. I'm sure the American people feel very disrespected about the border situation they're facing right now. And with that, time has expired.
So we're going to turn it off. That, this was the first exposure I've ever had to Kat Kamek. I like her. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Um, I'd love to try and get her on the show. Mr. Brewster, jot that down so we can meet afterwards and see if we can reach out to her people and see if we can get her on the show. Um, no, and you lo- it's always what the Democrats always say. Like their, their whole thing is when they go low, kick them, right? When they go low, we go lower. And then he's sitting there with his like his like faux outrage saying, how disrespectful to bring up an actual event. How disrespectful. Yeah, no, no one buys it. And the left's trying to say that she was being disrespectful. I love that she used the term reclaiming my time. That's what the Democrats always say. Reclaiming my time. Uh, 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 reclaiming my time. I love that she used that. Um, but she did great. And I'd love to have her on the show and and talk to her because she she I know that she's she was the youngest congresswoman from this election um so she's very very well spoken she understands the issue um so this was the first i've ever been exposed to her but uh i think i think she's great she's definitely a superstar uh, so that i wanted to play that because it was it's something that the biden administration is trying to to avoid how can you send fema to the border when the e in fema stands for emergency and not say that there's an emergency. And if there's an emergency, is it a natural disaster or is it man-made? And if it's man-made, who made it, right? If it's a man-made disaster, then like when we, when we look at crimes against humanity as like a man-made disaster, there's usually one tyrant at the top who delivered the order. Well, if there's a, a man-made disaster, a man-made emergency at the border, which man made it? Is it Joe Biden? Is this Joe Biden's own making? Obviously, it is. The White House admits that they knew this was going to happen before they repealed all of Trump's claims. Joe Biden himself told illegals to surge the border, uh, but they don't want to admit it. They don't want to admit that it's an emergency because, I don't know, I, I guess that that would defeat their whole talking point. I don't know. I don't know why they're so afraid of emergency. It, it almost reminds me of the Obama administration when they were refusing to say radical Islamic terrorism, it's just like three words put together they will not use for some reason because I guess that they thought if they used it, they'd be racist. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why the Biden administration from top to bottom is refusing to call it an emergency. But if FEMA's there, you have to call it an emergency. You have to. FEMA's whole mission statement is, is they go places before, during, and after emergencies. That's it. Period. Full stop. So I don't know. I don't know how they're going to get around that. Um, at some point, if things if things don't get better, which I don't expect them to get better, uh, I think this is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I mean, they they're getting thousands a day showing up at the border. This is this is not good. This is no bueno. To to borrow some really bad Spanish. So we're going to keep covering it. Uh, I'm trying to to work some sources here in San Antonio and Texas area to figure out just how many illegal aliens are staying in Texas, because that to me is is the biggest problem. Yeah, if, if they're going to other states, then that's a problem too. But I truly believe that this is an effort to at least in some way turn Texas blue. Maybe not in the next election, maybe not the one after that, but generationally turn Texas blue. And that's something that Democrats have unapologetically advocated. So when you see this, when you see open border policies where they're just being shipped into Texas cities and they're not leaving, that to me is very, very problematic. So we're going to keep covering that. There's one more thing I wanted to show before we ended. And this was a Biden clip. I know, I know, no more Biden clips. Well, I want to show you this one because Biden has something to say about you if you don't get the vaccine. And interestingly enough, because I just said that word, Facebook's probably going to add a little message about the vaccine beneath the video, whatever. This is Biden's words. Biden says that you are not patriotic 
if you don't get the vaccine. Let's go ahead and play cut number three. Your goals for the country, 100 million vaccine doses by next week, $100 million out the door. Every American eligible for the vaccine by adult American by May 1st, something close to normal on July 4th. But tell everyone, when is everything going to be normal for Americans? Well, first of all, I won't even be able to meet the July 4th deadline unless people listen, wear masks, wash their hands and socially distance because not everyone by July 4th will have been vaccinated. How do you get the politics out of this vaccine talk? I honest to God thought we had it out. I honest to God thought that once we guaranteed we had enough vaccine for everybody, things would start to calm down. Well, they have calmed down a great deal, but I just don't understand this sort of macho thing about I'm not going to get the vaccine. I have a right as an American, my freedom to not do it. Well, why don't you be a patriot? Protect other people. How about emphasizing the positive? How has life changed for you since you got right, the vaccine? Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. So you're not patriotic unless you don't get it. Listen, uh, me and Joe differ, are very different views on the vaccine. That's fine. But the notion that if you don't get the vaccine, you are not a patriot or that it's some kind of mach machismo BS. And the idea that you don't get to celebrate 4th of July unless you exercise good hand washing, unless you are socially distant, unless you put your face diaper on your, on your face, unless you allow someone to inject something into your body, that you don't get a 4th of July barbecue unless you meet all of those things. I'd love to know in the Declaration of Independence where that kind of caveat was there. Where, where we declared independence from Great Britain, but we say that we do not declare independence from social distancing. It's the stupidest thing. And he sits there with a straight face and says, I don't get it. I don't get it. They say it's their right. Well, why don't they be patriots? Listen, if, if, this guy shouldn't be talking about patriotism. That is for sure. And the last one I wanted to talk about is this, apparently now Joe Biden is leading us towards war with Russia because, yeah, why not? Um, Russia has recalled its ambassador because Joe Biden accused Vladimir Putin of just being a killer, a mindless killer. Um, uh, yeah, I guess that's what foreign policy looks like under the Biden administration. So Putin took the Russian ambassador back to Moscow so they could figure out what the next bit of policy would be. He has just destroyed <laughs> Russian relations. But I want to show you this one. This is this was Putin's response. Put up my screen, Mr. Producer. Putin said, it takes one to no one, Putin retorts after Biden says he thinks he is a killer. I'm going to scroll down. It might be hard to read it. Um, he says, I remember in my childhood when we argued in the courtyard with each other, we used to say, it takes one to no one. And that's not a coincidence, not just a children's saying or joke. The psychological meaning here is very deep. We always see our own traits in other people and think they're like how, they, how we really are. And as a result, we assess a person's activities and give assessments. So <laughs> the response from Putin to Biden saying that he has no soul and that he's a killer is how it takes one to no one. <laughs> That's what you, you talk about. The, the left loves to talk about the immature foreign policy of Donald Trump. I mean, it takes one to no one didn't get uttered. There was no I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say, bounce off me sticks to you. There's a na 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 boo boo. I mean, that wasn't present in Trump's foreign policy. But that is apparently how Biden does business, just accusing one of our biggest geopolitical adversaries of having having a leader with no soul, no soul.
Very interesting. Listen, maybe it'll work, or maybe it'll lead to thermonuclear war. It could go either way. could go either way. We'll have to wait and see. If you see fireballs on the horizon, it's because Joe Biden, <laughs> Joe Biden decided to engage in playground insults. So we'll have to just wait and see. Before we head off, I have to remind everyone, our gun giveaway drawing is tomorrow, the 19th. We're going to be doing it during the show. So if you want to get in on that, check out the link in the description. If you're on DLive, there is a panel. Scroll down, there's a panel for the gun giveaway. We're giving away an FMK Elite Pro Plus handgun with a threaded barrel, with a, a red dot sight, a $650 value brought to you by Conservative Daily Podcast and DCF Guns. The drawing is tomorrow. And in order to win, you have to be subscribed to our email newsletter, which you do by entering, and subscribe to our text alerts. So if you have unsubscribed from either of those, you need to be subscribed in order to win. Because we are going to check the list of entries against the emails and phone numbers that are in our text and email list. So if you have unsubscribed, re, you have to resubscribe if you're going to want to be part of this giveaway. So make sure you check that out. That's going to be that drawing will be tomorrow, and you do not want to miss it. And we'll and we'll give a couple days. Whoever wins, we'll give them a couple days to respond. We'll we'll message them, email them. If for whatever reason after a couple days they don't respond, we're going to do another drawing. We'll give them like two or three days. Pretty reasonable. Um, but make sure you tune in tomorrow because that's going to be a really really fun time. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the audio version. You can do it on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, or Podbean. All great ways to listen to the podcast. Really important as we prove our numbers. I know a lot of people watch us live. They watch the recordings. Please also do subscribe to the audio version because that's how we prove our numbers for advertisers as well. We go live Monday through Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, YouTube, and DLive. So make sure you like and follow our Facebook page. Subscribe, hit the bell for notifications on DLive, and give us a follow. Uh, sorry, give us a follow on DLive. We now also have the ability to give out lemons. I'm going to distribute some more lemons. The more lemons you donate, the more lemons we can give back. So in the next 20 some odd seconds, we're going to be giving away some lemons on DLive. So we're going to keep doing that, giving lemons at the end. So stick around and you'll get some lemons on DLive as well. We have lots of links in the description if you want to check us out on Rumble, on Gab TV. That's where we are putting videos of the podcast. So make sure you check that out. There's a link if you want to sign up for our email newsletter. Very, very important as well. Promo code CD21. Let's put that up, Mr. Producer. CD21 for 66% off your MyPillow purchase. If you use our promo code and you buy MyPillow, not only are you supporting MyPillow, Mike Lindell, you also help support the channel. So if you haven't already, CD21 for up to 66% off at MyPillow.com. So I think I've hit everything. That's going to be it for this edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. Joe had to bounce out early. Remember, everyone, that the fight to take back our country isn't over yet. But the only way we win is if we all stand and fight together. <laughs>